how is it already 2024? We're going to be talking later about New Year's intentions versus resolutions. I'm going to share some of my own. We're going to really be diving into thyroid, rethinking the thyroid dysfunction. Is it actually thyroid? And nine times out of 10, actually is not. Um, Coffee, is it helping you or harming you? And then a few other fun things if we have time. So hold tight. We'll be right back. All right, let's start with thyroid. Um, I get inundated with so many questions about thyroid. I personally experienced this being blamed, you know, with thyroid conditions, and it was obviously so much deeper than that. So I really urge you to dig deeper and um, really just understand that thyroid dysfunction is a symptom to something bigger. And this was something I had to learn the hard way. A lot of women have to learn it the hard way because they're often thrown thyroid medications at the problem. And when you see my whole list of things that actually are affecting thyroid, hormone production, assimilation, all of these things, things that are blocking our receptors for our thyroid hormone, you'll understand things on a different level. And you'll you'll be able to see that why taking thyroid hormone isn't actually doing anything, if not just adding more stress to the system. And another just kind of validation of why you don't feel any changes or feel better when you're on this um, synthetic thyroid hormone. So, um, just like I said, remember that when your symptoms start to manifest in the thyroid, it's important to know that thyroid conditions are just a symptom of a larger dysfunction happening. And when you target only the thyroid, you're missing the root of the issue. And once again, supporting at the bottom of a hierarchy of hormones, and it really needs to be supported from the top down. So a few things to think about with thyroid is we always hear the HPA axis, right? But it's important to know that the HPA is also the HPT, which is the thyroid, the O, which is ovaries. There's so many axes, right? That all come from this hypothalamic pituitary signaling. And a lot of the times the adrenal axis is going to be preferred because it's a survival mechanism. So just remember for now, all the hormone signaling starts in the brain. The brain and body are always going to choose survival over optimization. And if your HPA axis is busy creating stress hormones all day, your other hormone signaling, right, is going to be affected. And this is why it looks like thyroid in some people. It looks like sex hormones in another, um, So it's really just due to this chronic stress response that's happening. So what's important to look at and really just be open and transparent is what is keeping you in survival, right? Is it actually day-to-day stress? Is it your lifestyle? Is it overcommitments? Is it an inability to slow down or possibly an addiction to stress hormones, which we've talked about before? Is it possibly overtraining? I see this all too often. This was me as well. It was really um, keeping my cortisol really high and keeping things like progesterone and testosterone um, way low. So that is something. And also about the impact of chronic cortisol, what it's doing to progesterone and blood sugar, things like that, which we've talked about in the past. And I'm going to go deeper into the progesterone piece because that highly influences what's happening with thyroid as well. The other thing is, is that women are trying to train and eat the same way throughout their hormonal cycles. And that also creates a big disconnect and often crashes hormones. Um, another thing is, is it a disconnection from your body's natural circadian rhythm due to a lack of actual UV or sunlight exposure or even too much blue light, which increases your need for that actual sunlight exposure, right? Or staying up well past the point of your lowest cortisol dip at night 
or that your blood sugar is erratic, causing more of an imbalance of cortisol throughout the day, right? Nine times out of 10, this is half the battle. Um, so of course, blood sugar, insulin definitely have to be considered in this hierarchy of hormones because they certainly are going to impact that. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Now, when I think of thyroid issues, I also think about iodine, which is what helps you convert the inactive form of thyroid to the active or the T3, right? And so halogens, which are in the same periodic table of elements as iodine are actually going to compete with iodine. So think chlorine, fluoride, bromine, which is in a lot of like baking products and things like that that are processed. Those are gonna be the top offenders. Those along with heavy metals, which also block our cell receptors for iodine are going to be something to consider. So stopping the exposure and possibly even testing to look and see where your current load of toxins exists at, right? Because we all have different exposures. We all have different um, toxin levels. So looking at what is competing or blocking iodine is really important. And this too should make you think of a lot of people are like, oh, well, I'm hypo. Should I be taking iodine? that isn't really going to serve you if your cell receptors are blocked, right? Or if you have something competing with even the incoming iodine you're trying to take. So there's a lot more going on. Another thing you need to think about is where this conversion is happening because most of our thyroid hormone actually converts in the gut and the liver. Actually, like less than 20% is converted in the actual thyroid. That's why targeting the thyroid usually doesn't get us very far. So if you have inflammation in the gut or the liver, which that's where most people start to show signs of stress, right? Then you could be compromising your thyroid function. So things like toxin load, imbalanced blood sugar, which causes fatty liver, causes the liver to be working way too hard to be regulating our blood sugar throughout the day. Gut imbalances, right? Like your microbiome status. All of these things need to be factored in to a complete thyroid healing plan. Um, remember less than 20% of our thyroid hormone is actually converted in the thyroid. So this might explain why so many people do not feel any different when you're just taking more thyroid hormone. And the other thing is if your hormones not able to convert, you're actually flooding the body with more stress because it, you're giving it more hormones than it can utilize or clear, right? So that could be another stressor. Speaking of toxins, it's really important to think of the class of toxins that directly impacts our HPA axis, and those are endocrine disruptors. I know you've heard me use that term before. So this is a class that interrupts the signaling, right? That HPA or that HPT or whatever that process is, right? We know it starts in the hypothalamus and the pituitary. And so something that's going to directly interrupt that signaling, think BPA, dioxins, parabens, phthalates, even our receipt paper, think plastics, all of these things. You can look at these through a toxin lab and see where you currently exist with them, what your body is struggling to clear. And that can be extremely empowering to start and then start cleaning up the products in your home, right? Look at your exposures when you're not at home um, and assess from there what, what you need to do to be able to support the clearance of these. And these all could be competing with your hypothalamic pituitary responses and all of the signaling that comes downstream from them, which is literally all of your hormones. So we know toxins block our cell receptors, causing stress, inflammation, and nutrient deficiencies. But what else keeps our receptors blocked? High levels of insulin. 
So this eventually leads us to a state of resistance by the cell shutting off its ability to receive nutrients. Not only that, but insulin directly inhibits the conversion of inactive to active thyroid hormone. So if there's a blood sugar issue, it often can manifest as a thyroid issue. And why does this happen more in women? Because the balance of cortisol and insulin highly impacts our progesterone levels. Nothing kills progesterone quite like cortisol. Cortisol is spiked by things like hypoglycemic events, and that happens because our blood sugar is spiking too high or insulin is too high or, you know, all lots of things are factoring that, but it's important to know that there is a relationship between cortisol, insulin, and progesterone. And then there's also a relationship with our sex hormones and what's happening with thyroid. So highly impactful by what's happening with progesterone. And it's going to very much influence what our thyroid's doing. So progesterone and thyroid have a reciprocal relationship. You need adequate amounts of thyroid hormones for your ovaries to make progesterone, but progesterone also needs to help the thyroid. So progesterone can increase thyroid hormone levels in the blood, and it also decreases the amount of protein that carries thyroid in the blood. So that makes more of it free and available to get into the cells. So a lot of us know that progesterone and thyroid are related. Some people don't. Um, But like I said, the biggest killer to progesterone is going to be cortisol, which impacts blood sugar, which is going to keep us in that feedback loop, right? But there's also a connection of estrogen and thyroid that is really important to know. And insulin is a huge driver of estrogen dominance. And I'm going to do a whole show on that soon. So, but let's just be general with the estrogen thyroid relationship for now. So a couple of ways that estrogen is going to impact the thyroid and estrogen is one of those hormones that we want just enough, right? We want just enough because there are some benefits, but too much of a good thing, right? Is going to cause disruption. And we hear so much estrogen dominance is, you know, it causes lots of cellular inflammation, disrupts a lot of hormone signaling, cause a lot of problems, right? So when we have a healthy level of estrogen, it's going to stimulate thyroid growth. So too little, this is not enough thyroid tissue, right? Where too much could result in that enlarged thyroid gland. Estrogen also stimulates the thyroid to make more of the precursor hormone or thyroglobulin. So too little estrogen may lead to not enough and too much could also result in that enlarged thyroid. So, and it also increases the protein that carries thyroid hormone in our blood. So if we have too much, then not enough thyroid hormones will be free and unbound to enter the cells. And so this will lead us to symptoms of hypothyroidism, even if we have enough thyroid hormone. So it is extremely, if you take anything from this and it's not just, just be like, okay, well, I, I need to take dim cause I have too much estrogen. That's not going to fix it. Right. We have to start at the very top of the hierarchy of hormones. We have to be working with cortisol insulin, know the impact that estrogen and progesterone also have on thyroid. And that I hope this makes you reframe the way you're thinking thyroid dysfunction, because it's actually driven by lots of other factors and understanding that relationship of our hormones, the hierarchy and where they need to be supported instead of supporting from the bottom up is definitely key when it comes to quote unquote, balancing any hormones. Cortisol and insulin impact all hormonal signaling downstream. They will also impact the HPA axis, 
which will be the preferred pathway in stressful situations. And stress can be life, it can be chemical, it can be mental, it can be emotional, but it also can be driven from what's happening with our blood sugar, right? Something that is going to happen all day, every day. So down-regulating the non-survival hormones when your body's preferring the stress hormone support pathway. Um, so knowing and correcting those influential hormones is the place to start while also looking at toxin load, stopping the exposure to things that are killing and competing with iodine and your thyroid hormone. That is how you heal a thyroid, right? Now let's talk about antibodies really quickly. So if we have an autoimmune thyroid condition, you're going to see this perfect storm of several factors going on. So you're going to see a gut imbalance and or food sensitivities or both. You're going to have some sort of gluten exposure and intolerance. Typically gluten is the heavy hitter because the protein and gluten gliadin mimics thyroid tissue. So is the body really attacking itself or is it just trying to protect you from these damaging proteins? So gluten and cross reactors really need to be considered for the very high antibody levels while working on healing the gut. Now, the other thing that you're going to see is a chronic stressor or maybe even a chronic infection, right? This creates a perfect storm for that antibody, you know, situation, the autoimmune panel, all of those things to be elevated. So there's going to be a stressor of some sort. And remember, stress can come in all forms. But the sooner you get a handle on what's impacting your day-to-day, -day, the sooner you can mitigate some of those survival mechanisms, get the body to that place of balance so that it can heal itself the way it's designed to do. So the last kind of factor in these autoimmune cases is that there's always a toxin load. So we talked about heavy metals, we talked about endocrine disruptors, and really just environmental toxins in general. So think about everything that we're exposed to in our day-to-day, -day, there's almost 200,000 environmental toxins that we are exposed to that weren't even a thing 50 years ago. So these are things that our body is trying to, you know, we're already in a deficit essentially being in our day-to-day. -day. That's why we can't just rely on the liver to do all of our detox work. We have to learn to incorporate things more into our day-to-day -day lifestyle, right? And stopping the exposure is definitely step one, but we can't stop our exposure to everything. So it really is truly about finding that threshold that is going to set our bodies over the edge and do things in our day-to-day -day that's going to help reset our body, help it find balance. So this combination leads to the perfect storm for the autoimmune response, and they're all intrinsically affected. The body is not attacking itself, right? It's protecting your body from pathogens and toxins. And in my opinion, it's more of a healing crisis. You start to see these autoimmune markers elevated. And once you start to get things in check, I promise you the numbers drop off. I see it all of the time. So it truly is look at the toxin load, heal the gut, address the stress, right? like get to the chronic infections. Why is your body unable to heal, right? Get your body to that place of balance. And that's why I love functional testing to kind of shed light on what needs support um, in the day-to-day -day and what is seen on the lab work. So all those things can come together to bring down those antibody levels if that applies to you. If you're strictly hypothyroid, all of those things I talked about before are definitely the place to start. It's never just start and take a thyroid hormone. 
Um, I want to put one more piece out there and talk about foods that are anti-neutrogenic in nature. So oxalates, phytic acid, lectins, these are all plant compounds that are going to compete with our nutrients and impact our ability to receive them as well. So they are essentially plant survival mechanisms. And a lot of them are in touted health foods, right? And they're all competing with our nutrients and causing inflammation. Um, things like spinach, oats, grains for the most part, nightshades. And not to say you have to cut all of these, but it can be very helpful to cut them while you're healing the gut, trying to get the nutrient status up for the body to heal, right? We need nutrients. We need energy to heal. Um, and then if you add them back in slowly, notice if they're making symptoms worse, or if you're going backwards, you might be surprised, right? Like it's impossible to heal a nutrient deficiency if you're still consuming foods that are competing with that, right? So it's toxins. It's also some of these compounds that can be in our food blocking that process. So out of all of these things to start thinking about and noticing, um, I think that it is important to know I'm not saying, hey, yeah, just take selenium or iodine if you have a thyroid problem, right? There's so much more to it than that. And if your absorption is being blocked, then what good would it be to actually add in another supplement anyway if your cells can't even receive it? So if your cells are being blocked by toxins, inflammation, insulin, things like that, it's you're not missing a supplement, right? You need to calm that response so that your body can heal. All right, let's talk about coffee. So I get a lot of questions on this too. So is it helping or is it harming? And of course, like anything, right, it is not black and white. So I'm going to talk about my relationship with coffee really quick. It's been um, one that I've definitely have seasons where I see it being a problem and I have to taper off for a while. Um, if it's an addiction or reliance for energy, um, and I have to kind of decipher, is it, is it that, or is it that it's just my, like part of my ritual and I have energy upon waking and I don't have any trouble with it or trouble sleeping. And so I have to kind of shift as these seasons in my life change to see if it's actually helping or harming me. How do you know, or how do I know if it's been a problem in the past? Well, I'm an early riser for sure. True and true, like always have been. And so when I get to the point where all of a sudden I can't get up early or I feel like I have to snooze, which is something I never do, or I, I wake up and I feel like I'm not rested, those are, are really big. Or even if it's um, I'm having trouble winding down at night, usually when my head hits a pillow, I am done. Um, so those kind of things. And then, like I said, if I feel really good with coffee but don't have natural energy otherwise, those are all kind of seasons that my body's relying a little too heavily on it. And I'll take a break from it. Um, I also have a thing in my past where I used to use coffee to replace meals. This wrecked my hormones, my thyroid. A lot of people do it. Um, and of course, skipping breakfast or replacing breakfast with coffee is a recipe for disaster because you're already, your cortisol levels already elevated in the morning right? And then you skip breakfast, which is already going to like kind of mess with your cortisol levels, which is going to mess with your blood sugar levels. But then you add in caffeine on top of it and caffeine alone can spike blood sugar. So you kind of set yourself up for this hormonal roller coaster in the beginning of the day. And that's why so many people are crashing at two or three in the afternoon because their blood sugar is so erratic. Maybe they're skipping breakfast, maybe they're relying on caffeine or both, right? It just really creates that situation 
It's wrecking your hormones, wrecking your circadian rhythm and doing so much harm underneath the surface. And for the longest time, I really did not want to see this in myself because I was like, I feel good. I'm not hungry. Um, and that was because I was running on stress hormones. So knowing what I know now, seeing the effect that it impacted my thyroid, my sex hormones, things like that at that earlier age, and also seeing my clients kind of do the same thing and also seeing how quickly things shift when you start to not have coffee for breakfast, right? Or have breakfast and then some coffee. Just seeing these simple shifts can make a humongous difference. And they may not seem like they're that impactful, but I'm telling you that's where the magic lies in these little shifts. So I want to talk about some pros of coffee. They actually, It actually has some amazing healing qualities and they're a class of plants called polyphenols. So polyphenols, I want to talk about that just for a second. They have been linked to lower risk of many chronic diseases, including cancer, cardiovascular disease, chronic inflammation, and a lot of degenerative diseases as well. And the way polyphenols do this is they are strong antioxidants that can neutralize free radicals by donating an electron or a hydrogen atom. And essentially, you just got to think they're giving the body energy and they're neutralizing these toxins and free radicals that shouldn't be there. And they're really just, they're deactivating them. You know, they're stopping that um, chain of events. Uh, And they also are chelators of heavy metals. So, and I'm not saying just coffee, right? There's a class of polyphenols. And think about things that are really dark in nature, Um, Green tea is one of them, herbs and spices, foods that are really rich in color like blueberries, pomegranates, things like that. Those all contain polyphenols. Um, But can it be helpful for some people? Yes, but you have to understand there's always a dual effect, right? So coffee is very healing. It is a polyphenol. It definitely um, contains some antioxidants and things like that. But you have to consider the quality. You have to consider the quantity. And you have to consider your current state of stress, blood sugar, all of those things, right? Because too much of a good thing can create a situation of blood sugar imbalances, adrenal stress. And the other thing to remember is caffeine is very drying, especially coffee. So you have to make sure that you are drinking more minerals than you would be otherwise. And for each cup of coffee, it's about three cups more of water that your body's going to require to kind of find that balance. So that is, you know, it's just something to consider. So is it good or bad? Like anything else, it depends on the person, right? There's so many benefits in this class of antioxidant containing foods, but you have to think about the quality and the quantity and your bio-individual response to it. If you are cortisol resistant, right? Like cortisol issues, you saw in the Dutch, you're, you have adrenal fatigue situation, which is usually due to what's happening with blood sugar. Um, and coffee is the only way that you're waking up to feel alive. You might want to rethink that, right? Cause you're kind of living off a of borrowed energy at that point. But if your cortisol is in balance, you're in sync with your hormonal rhythms, you, you aren't having it at times that's going to impact cortisol and insulin, then there could be a positive in there for you. So like I said, I've had seasons where I've had to completely cut it out, but I also had to really dive deep into the quality of the coffee I was consuming too. And this was a huge thing. I noticed that as I was getting coffee out every day, 
that was impacting my energy and my uh, restfulness, right, at night. Uh, and when I started buying Purity Coffee, that's my favorite brand of coffee, and making it at home, I didn't have the same effect. And so I think that the, a lot of the reactions from coffee are actually reactions to mycotoxins. Coffee is one of the top offenders for things like ochratoxin A, pesticides, other things that are lurking in our coffee, right? You hear me say anything that could be stored in a grain bin could potentially have some of those mycotoxins, which really impact our cellular health. Um, so that has to be, and it's gonna affect our acidity in our body too. So that's another thing that you need to think about. And that's one reason why it's really good to have it after food, because that acidity from the coffee isn't going to be just on an empty stomach, right? Making our stomach really sour and acidic. Um, so it really goes into how are you combining it, right? And what are you adding to it? Are you having it after a meal? Are you having it in between meals thinking it's not doing anything to blood sugar? Because I can tell you that it is. Um, I've tested it on myself. I've seen it impact other clients and their ability to get into, um, a state of weight loss, or even just hormone balance in general because they're having caffeine in between meals and it's spiking blood sugar and it's keeping them very insulin dominant. Insulin is our storage hormone. So anytime blood sugar is high, insulin's high, you're gonna have some storage happening. Um, so some things to ask yourself is, what is the quality, right? Is it mycotoxin free, organic, pesticide free, all of those things? Um, is it replacing a meal? Are you having it on its own? Is it impacting blood sugar? Cause you're having it in between meals, right? Don't replace breakfast with it because that's gonna set you up for a blood sugar roller coaster you won't be able to get off of. And um, not only that, but you really should stop having caffeine up to 10 hours before bed. And that is the kind of half-life before it's gonna start affecting sleep. So if you have it in the morning after breakfast, and aren't relying it for that afternoon energy leader, you might be fine, right? And then the other thing to note is our ability to metabolize caffeine is determined by the health of our liver. And if you're struggling with things like estrogen dominance, which it's really important, I just feel like I have to like side note this, the same liver enzyme that we need to break down estrogen and, and convert estrogen, neutralize it, and all of those things is the same one that we also are breaking down and metabolizing caffeine with. So that is important. If you have estrogen dominance, you really need to tread lightly with caffeine until you get that in check uh, because it could be creating a situation where your body is metabolizing that instead of estrogen. So just a side note on there. Um, also, if you're having cortisol issues, you can look at a Dutch and see what's happening with that. Adrenal issues, you'll know if you have those, you'll have the crash midday. Um, it may be a season to cut caffeine until your system can regulate, right? If your cortisol's out of whack, you have no energy, you have trouble waking, or you wake in a state of panic, which is highly driven by what's happening with blood sugar, it's important that you work on slowing down, right? Like don't live on borrowed energy. Prioritize rest and nourishment, aka not skipping breakfast and replacing it with coffee. Get that first morning sunlight, that red light, actual red light from the sun. If you can't, then the red light therapy, but you can't replace the sun, but um, it's a good tool to use if you need to. And letting energy levels come up naturally to support blood sugar, sleep, and everything in between. 
um, as caffeine at this stage can cause more dysfunction and dysregulation of an already stressed hormonal state. So like anything, it's never black and white. There are benefits, yes, but the benefit has to outweigh the risk. And so you have to determine that on your individual status. So making sure you're keeping up with the extra hydration that's needed, the extra minerals that are needed, doing it in a intentional way and not letting it wreck hormones. That's something to really think about. But you can look at these things. Um, I definitely listen to my body and my intuition. I also test my blood sugar. Um, I make sure that I put enough in my coffee or have it with breakfast so it's not impacting my cortisol or insulin. And I have a very specific tolerance of what I can have as well. Um, So I know that. And so I don't push it. And I don't have that second cup to get me through the rest of the day. And if I did, I'd really have to start rethinking some things. But I also run a Dutch yearly to make sure hormones are in check, liver detox is supported, and that my lifestyle is matching up to my goals. So definitely tune in, test, right? Listen, look for signs of imbalances that could be caused by this. And ask yourself, is it serving you or are you actually living off a borrowed energy? All right, so let's end this episode talking about intentions versus resolutions. Um, I think you guys probably saw me talk on Instagram about this at the beginning of the year, but resolutions are driven by society, right? Like not, they're not internally driven. They don't have much sticking power because it's not your idea. It's literally society telling you, you need to be a different person because a new year is upon us. And that may not be the case, right? If you're not inspired to do something different, then Don't take that calendar change to feel like you have to, right? But if you are inspired to do something different, go for it. Um, Maybe this isn't your moment, right? Maybe that will be on a random Wednesday, not tied to whenever we have this dramatic, you know, quote unquote, shift in the calendar. And that's okay too. So I just like to kind of think about it in this way. Have you ever known exactly what someone needs to fix all their problems, but no matter how hard you try to explain to them what they need, they're just not there, right? They're not on the same wavelength to receive it. This is how I feel about obligatory resolutions. Things stick so much more when they are your aha moment, your idea, not someone else's, not from a place of guilt or shame or fear that you'll fail again the next year, right? Like you need to be driven by your intuition and what your heart tells you, this is the right, this is my timing, right? Um, And that's, and it's not going to be on January 1st of every year for every single person. Um, And so much of this is driven by the food and diet industry, right? Like the people profiting from overconsumption, like around the holidays that you are setting yourself back 20 steps and starting over every new year over and over again, only to fail and do it all over again because you're still in that guilt from the year before. Like I didn't get my resolution the year before. I'm probably not going to get it again. I'm just going to do whatever during the holidays and I'll get back on track the first of the year. That doesn't really sound like something that is really inspired, right? And um, how many people do you feel like are motivated to start over at the beginning of the year just because they did overindulge, right? They overspent and now just feel like crap and guilty for it, right? I like intentions so much more. And I don't only set intentions for the new year, but every single day of my life, if I, I always say you can't hit a target that you haven't set yet, right? So every single day I do my gratitude list and then I write my intentions for the day. 
Maybe they consist of being more present or listening more or just putting out there that I'm going to have positive interactions today or focus on being in the present. They're not always specific, but definitely starting out in a certain direction rather than letting life just happen to you and sitting back and reacting to it or living in default, as I say often. With that being said, I do have things that I told myself I would focus on last year, and I definitely have made lots of shifts last year. Um, it is every year I'm like, oh, this is my year to you know make changes, and every year the changes just keep coming and they keep getting better and better. But that doesn't come without challenges, and so some of my focuses last year were to be more present as a parent and really tune into what my kids needed. And I, I don't know how it transpired, but somehow I ended up being a homeschooler now. And it's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I swore I would never do it after what happened when we were forced into it, um, over COVID, but it's something that I was, you know, and I don't know, you know, you guys have heard me talk about my past and, you know, I was at my sickest when my kids were little. They don't remember, but I do. I remember not having um, the energy and not feeling, you know, 100% all of the time. And I have a certain level of, um, I guess, guilt for that. But it's, it's to me, it's been, I've been given an opportunity to make up for lost time. And this is a time when they need me even more because they're in this moldable place, right? And this is where we can really focus on our relationship and our time together. And I just love it. I love exposing them to new ideas. I love their excitement about the things they want to learn about. I love taking them new places and traveling and exposing them to new modalities and cultures and all kinds of things, music. And it really has been fulfilling I, it's funny because I say like I'm teaching them, but really they're teaching me, right? It's so amazing. And this beautiful thing that we both are, we're all learning from each other every single day and we're learning how we work and how our rhythm works. And it's just been such a beautiful season for us. And so that was definitely, I didn't know that I would be led in that direction, but I, my intention was to be the best parent for my kids that I can be, right? And for them to really feel like I've got their back and me tuning into where they were at with their current schooling situation and realizing they were actually showing me signs that they needed a change and um, helping them through that and finding the most amazing hybrid program where they are outside on the beach in the park all day long for a couple days a week so I can really dive in and get some work done. But then we have that whole evening together and then the rest of the week, right? We're doing our schooling, we're doing our field trips, all of those things together. It's just really beautiful. So they have a beautiful balance of social nature, time with me, learning, all of those things. So I had no idea I was gonna be led down that road, but it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, and then another thing was this was my year to declutter. This is something that affects my nervous system and I think a lot of people's nervous systems way more than they actually realize. Um, and if you see how I was raised, I was raised in a family of eight total. Um, the amount of stuff, right, that we had accumulated, all of that really impacts my nervous system and, and going through the stages of my kids and their toys and stuff being everywhere was another thing. Your home is supposed to be your haven, right? And it is truly a extension of your energy. And for me, I work from home, right? I teach at home. I spend a lot of time at home. Home is where 
like I feel safe and I want my home to be, I want to have space to create and I want it to be uncluttered and I want it to be not stressful at all. I want everything to have its place. And I really have made a lot of intention about doing that. And I've been in this decluttering state. I've been teaching my kids. Yes, you have something new coming in. Something old has to go. Like we have to be cyclical in nature um, to recycle, reuse things. Um, but make sure our cabinets are like half full, right? So that we have room not to buy new things, but just to create space. Like just having that space is such a relief on the nervous system. You would unbelievable, like how much that changes things, but, and you can start, you know, if that's something you've been thinking you need, just start with one closet at a time. Um, it's truly, truly rewarding and such a sigh of relief when you get your home in order and you have way less things. So those two things, I definitely made my intention. And um, also I just wanted as a practitioner, as my work, I really delved into and worked with mentors that really inspired me to connect more with nature. And I really have been um, kind of diving headfirst into making sure that that is the foundation of everything I do with my patients and getting out of that protocol mentality, which is something that I really was having a hard time with for a while because I was like, this doesn't feel right to me. It feels very allopathic in nature. And while there is a time and place for supplements, and yes, I do use the testing to make sure I see, like it sheds light on what that individual needs but that is not everything and making sure that I'm tuning into what is needed in the day-to-day that will get this person better quicker and um, what do they need to support. So that has been a huge, huge thing that I intended on doing last year that has been a absolute game changer for me. So this year I have a couple intentions. Um, I definitely want to connect more to my actual food supply. It's something I've been talking about for a long time. And it's honestly, we get in this convenience trap of Amazon and Whole Foods and the, you know they're now the same thing. And it's just like, I don't feel even good about the energy of the money exchange of this. I would rather support my local grocer, would rather support the farmer's market and things like that. So that is my intention. And obviously if you're eating local and you're eating seasonal, nature knows what we need right? Like we don't need things that are flown all the way from Mexico in the winter. We, we need the food that our farmers can farm in our area locally, right? That's what our microbiome needs. That's what our nutrient needs are. Um, so the more I can connect with that, the better I don't make it to the farmer's market as often as I'd like, but now I'm just like a half a mile walk to it. So that's so much better, but we have a lot of kids things going on sometimes on the weekends. And so, um, I found a local farm delivery, which is going to be straight from the local farmers and they deliver to my home. So if I am unable to make it to the farmer's market, I at least have that, which is so great. And the food has been so amazing. I, I used them when we first moved down to Florida in 2021 and I kind of forgot they were a thing because I think we were traveling so much and I had put it on hold. Um, but we live at the beach now, so we were just like, oh, yeah, let's get started because that's where the farmer's market is anyway. So it's kind of perfect. So my goal is to kind of connect with my farmers, with the food, eat more seasonally and locally. And I will definitely keep you updated on the end of the year, like how that actually went. 
The other thing I want to focus on as far as my work and practice goes is um, doing some group work. I really feel like there's power in numbers and um, I've recently just started my first group and I really was hesitant to do this to start because I don't want to lose that individuality. I've seen so many people have done group programs and gotten nowhere. So I don't want it to be a protocol based thing. I want it to be more of a educational based thing. So I'm going to be picking a few topics throughout. We won't be doing liver cleanses or parasite work or gut work together, anything like that. But we will be doing things like teaching you how to balance your blood sugar and how to quote unquote balance your hormones, right? Or heal your metabolism, which is the first group I just started. And I can tell you there's so much excitement when you are with a group of people and I'm keeping them small um, so they can be intimate. We can talk to each other, get to know each other. And we're meeting several weeks, you know, over a time frame. This first group I'm doing is eight weeks. So we're gonna know each other. We're gonna support each other the whole time. And like I said, there is this beautiful energy that happens when there's a lot of people focused on the same thing and they know they have support. And uh, it's been beautiful so far. So that's something that I'm kind of easing into. I'm easing out of the app situation because morally and ethically, it just went against everything I try to do as far as that bio-individuality. So it's just been a year, right, of like shifting and pivoting as things feel right or don't feel right. And if the exchange of energy does not feel good to me, I'm not going to do it, no matter how much money is out there for me. So that feels good stepping away from the app leaning into some of these group settings in an intentional way not making them so big that no one's going to get anything out of it i really want to also prioritize my microbiome status as far as my skin goes and as far as my oral microbiome goes i mean i have the water pick with ozone and things like that that i do but getting a probiotic toothpaste, I'll link up the one that I use. I'm not affiliated, but so far it's been really great. I love it. And also thinking about my skin. So like probiotic skin support. Um, I have a really good skin spray and then also like a resurfacing type pad that I clean my skin with at night that is probiotic based because we have to think that we have flora literally everywhere. And so to be thinking outside of just the gut microbiome, we have to think about how our body interacts with the rest of our environment. And we are made to interact with other bacteria and think about the over sanitation, over sterilization that we've been doing the past few years that really has had an impact on our microbiome and all the other areas. So the more we can focus on rebuilding that and making that, and of course, exposing yourself to nature, all of those things are also gonna help, but I'm just trying to be more intentional about thinking about not stripping my, bio, uh, my microbiome orally or also thinking about my skin. Okay, last intention, and then we'll call it a day for today, but I wanted to provide my family with the absolute best source of water. Water is life, literally, and we are 70 plus percent water. And if the water we are drinking is not the best, right, or not actually structured, which is the absolute most bio-individual form of water we could ever put in our bodies, then to me, I feel like everything else you're doing is just trying to keep up with that constant dehydration that's happening. Um, if you want to go deeper into water, I will. I think I'm going to do a podcast that's going to talk a little bit more in depth of water. It is 
it's literally its own science. Um, but I've learned from my mentors who know way more about water, how to look for a water system, what structured water actually is. And there is only one water system that will actually filter, mineralize, and structure your water without the use of electricity, which causes water to react completely differently um, and does not impact it in a positive way. So finding that has been an absolute game changer. We literally just installed it. I promise I will give you all updates and that's probably when I'll release. I'll wait till I've been using it for a month or so and see what changes we've seen. Um, but it is so far recommended by the people I know who have been studying water their whole lives. And so I trust their opinions and I know, and I'm so excited to have this hydrogen water um, that is literally so bioavailable to my body. Um, so in my family, right? Like I'm so excited about water. Wow. How, look how far we've come. Oh my gosh. And anyways, I will definitely keep you all posted on that. I will link up the system that I used, but I like to use it for a little bit before I really start promoting it and talking a lot about it. Um, but like I said, everybody I know who knows so much about water, way more than I will ever know, but I've definitely educated myself on it this past year. Um, this is the system for the cleanest, most bioavailable water there is out there and structured water is not a thing in a water system. So, um, until now, so, so exciting. So water, food, right? Like let's get down to the basics, connect with that local food, connect with your microbiome, connect with nature, connect with your water. That's my intention. Right. And that's, it's, it's like my foundation was already good. It's just kind of taking it a step further. And I hope that you guys have some intentions. And like I said, intentions are flexible, just like my intention to be a better parent for my children or be more present. I left that up to whatever you want to call it, the universe, God, whatever you call it, um, to show me what that looked like. And so that is, it's like, Hey, this is my goal. But I don't know the way because it's something new. So I'm open, like teach me, show me what I need to see and guide me and being open to that. And that's why intentions are so much more um, impactful because they do allow for flexibility. And it's so different than, oh, I wanna lose you know, 10 pounds in a month. That's completely different. Um, if you're like, I wanna get in the best shape of my life and I wanna do it in a healthy way and I'm open to whatever influence is going to get me to that. That's a completely different scenario, right? And then it's out of a place of love and it's out of a place of a love for yourself, um, but also out of a place of trust and knowing that the right things are going to come to you when it's meant for you. So totally different than just setting these resolutions out of fear, shame, and guilt, right? It's an empowering place. It's a heart-driven, a gut-driven, intuition-driven place. So... I hope you guys have your intentions set for this year. I intend to be bi-weekly on here. Thank you so much for your support the last year. I'm so excited to see how impactful it is for you guys. This is something I told myself I would do just as long as it was fun. And it has been. And I really appreciate your questions. I appreciate your interactions on Instagram and sharing all of these things. Um, so thank you so much. I'm going to be at it another year. Um, let me know what questions you have. Follow me on Instagram at dr.stacy, S-T-A-C-Y dot N-D. 
Um, and you can definitely just shoot me a DM there and I will be back on in two weeks. I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great rest of your day.